focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters Han Dan and Son Bo Kyung. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. All right, uh, the big news that came out uh, yesterday, uh, we are going to cover it to start things off here on Focus on Headline. It is a partial shakeup of the presidential office. Uh, there were some clues and hints as to this coming up. Uh, President Yoon Suk-yeol now just a little over, over 100 days since taking office has carried out a personnel reshuffle. Tan, uh, what key posts are we talking about here and uh, what, what are the implications of this? Right, the three top posts subject to the remodeling were the new chief of the press shop, a new senior secretary for policy planning, and new second deputy security advisor. First off, the new chief of the press shop. Former lawmaker of the ruling People Power Party and President Yoon's transition team spokesperson Kim Eun-hae made a comeback as the new senior secretary for public relations, replacing journalist-turned-lawmaker Choi Young-bum. The top office said, given that Kim is well aware of the philosophy of President Yoon's state affairs and that she can communicate effectively about his political agenda and its results with the public, it makes her the most suitable person for the post. Kim, who's widely seen as a heavyweight who came to President Yoon's rescue amid his low approval ratings, said she will do her best to serve as the bridge between the office and the people. Next up, we have Yi Kwan-seok, who was named the new chief policy coordinator, a newly added post aimed at smooth execution of the Yoon administration's core national tasks through close communication with the people. If you remember the whole fiasco of lowering elementary school entrance age, scrapping of certain special purpose high schools, and reforming of the 52-hour work week, which all stirred loud controversy, you'll get a clearer idea of what this newly added post is for. The top office is vying to add another layer of policy brain that will act as the control tower of related ministries overseeing core policy agendas. Yi Guan-sup served as the vice chair of the Korea International Trade Association and as President CEO of Korea Hydro and Nuclear Power. Uh, just to remind our listeners, he stepped down from his post at the Korea Hydro and Nuclear Power in 2018 when he stood against the Moon administration's nuclear phase-out policy. And about this, a top uh, presidential official has told Yonhap News Agency that he's E is the right candidate who will carry out the Yoon administration's national tasks with perseverance. Im Jong-duk, a former chief of staff at the Joint Chiefs of Staff who served as a presidential defense secretary during the Park Geun-hye administration, was also tapped for the post of second deputy national security advisor, replacing Shin In-ho, who resigned due to health reasons. Yeah, of course, uh, there's going to be a lot of focus on Lee kwan uh, especially because of the policies, right? I mean, that's been kind of the big criticism of the uh, the current UN administration. There's a lack of policy. There's a lack of communications with the public when it comes to uh, uh, issuing out these uh, policies, but it is interesting with this uh, background there. Uh, as we know, uh, the current UN administration really wants to bring out the nuclear energy once again, uh, pose, as opposed to 
like uh, Tan said, uh, the previous Moon administration phasing out the nuclear energy. Uh, maybe it's because of this or maybe some of the changes that were kind of forecast. Uh, President Yoon Suk-yeol's approval rating uh, increasing for two consecutive weeks. Uh, we saw the figures uh, in the 20% range for, uh, for a while, and then we went from 30.4% to now 32.2%. Pogyan, uh, let's get the details of this. Right. So according to a poll conducted on 2011 voters for the third week of August, President Yoon's approval rating was up 1.8 percentage points from the previous week to 32.2 percent. Yoon's disapproval rating slipped 1.4 percentage points to 65.8 percent in the first week of August. Yoon's approval rating had been tumbling for eight consecutive weeks until the second week of August, when it slightly recovered to 30.4%. Last week was the second straight week for Yoon's approval rating to rise. Most of the positive assessment came from the Busan, Ulsan, and Gyeongnam region, which was about 6.9% points up, and from those in their 60s, which was also again 6.8% points up. According to Realmeter, the pollster that carried out the poll, another one or two weeks should be monitored to determine whether the recovery is solid or not. But it looks like the ratings have hit the lowest point in the short term. Yeah, so I, it's interesting that you mentioned the, the Busan, Ulsan, the Gyeongnam regions, because again, traditionally, it is a very conservative region, right? Uh, we see in the, the presidential elections and even just any elections, you see conservatives just voting a lot of uh, conservative votes in that Busan, Ulsan, Gyeongnam region and even but then we recently saw uh, uh, lower approval ratings from like even Daegu which is like a a huge uh, conservative uh, stronghold there but uh, uh, I guess we are seeing a recovery on that front uh, also President Yoon calling for a watertight security posture during the Urchi uh, Freedom Shield exercise uh, during a cabinet meeting today uh, what do you say right so today is the first day of President Yoon's first Urchi exercise which is a four-day civil defense exercise the Urchi exercise is held annually to review and update response manuals and train in operational steps in the event of war and other national emergencies. In the cabinet meeting held this morning, President Yoon said, Wars these days are different from the past. Not only are there cyber attacks on national backbone systems, but there are also all sorts of attacks targeting our core industrial infrastructure, high-tech industries, and supply chains. Yoon stressed that the Ulji exercise and Ulji Freedom Shield should be carried out organically so that the government's function and military operations can be maintained and be responsible for the people's safety in any national crisis situation. Yoon called for a watertight security posture to maintain peace on the Korean peninsula. In the current round of Ulji exercise, 480,000 people working at some 4,000 institutions across the public sector will take part. And it's also important or it's interesting to note that um, Yoon was wearing a greenish slash turquoise jacket mm. today. Normally, the civil defense jackets that they would be wearing in these situations would be yellow. But today it was a new design that was probably introduced by the Ministry of Interior and Safety. Interesting. Yeah, I was uh, caught off guard today, came to work today and... Uh come to work at 7 a.m. and uh, usually parking lots are relatively empty. It was fully packed. Right. I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> and I come in, all the producers that I know, all the male producers that I know, they're here in Arirang at 7 a.m. And I said, what is going on here? Is there some kind of meeting that I know don't know of? Mm -hmm. uh, it was the Urchi Freedom Exercise. Mm -hmm. And uh, as part of the public institution, uh, they had to come into work a bit early and sort of 
protect Arirang. So kudos, <laughs> kudos to you guys for protecting Arirang for those time. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit more about this combined Urchi Freedom uh, Shield exercise that kicked off between South Korea and the United States. Uh, again, this is to bolster defense against the rising North Korea threats. And especially nowadays, uh, this year, we had so much provocations from the North. There's still the threat of a nuclear weapons test. So all the more focus on this year's Urchi Freedom Shield exercise. Tan, let's get the details of this. History, the the Uchi Freedom uh, Shield combined exercises are a revival of a large-scale field training dubbed the Uchi Freedom Guardian, if you remember, suspended four years ago during the previous Moon administration considering inter-Korean relations. And so the drills appear to be gaining much more spotlight this year than usual amid heightened tensions on the Korean Peninsula. The UFS drills will be conducted in two parts. The first segment involves drills on repelling North Korean attacks and defense the greater Seoul area in the second part that focuses on counter-attack operations. During the first part, the South Korean government's Uchi civil contingency training that you just talked about will also be held simultaneously for four days. Based on all-out war concept, the exercise entails three key elements, the computer simulation command post exercise, field training, and Uchi civil defense drills. The defense ministry says the UFS will incorporate drills for various real-life scenarios for the first time, including the discovery of improvised explosive devices at nuclear power plants, a fire at a semiconductor factory, paralysis of a banking network, terrorism at airports, and drone attacks. This, of course, factoring in the evolving natures of war amid the ongoing war in Ukraine and various cyber attacks. Also, for the first time, it'll be conducted under the command of a four-star general of the Korean Army, as the drills include the Full Operational Capability, or FOC, assessment, one of the procedures required for the transfer of wartime operational control from Washington to Seoul. The FOC assessment is the second part of the three-stage program designed to vet Seoul's capabilities to lead the Allies' combined forces. In the lead-up to the UFS exercise, the Allies carried out a four-day preliminary crisis management drills focusing on procedures to respond to pre-war scenarios. North Korea, as anticipated, is lashing out verbal attacks through propaganda outlets about the drills and has fired off cruise missiles already into the East Sea last week in protest. Uh, in the meantime, this is uh, quite an interesting piece of news here. Uh, South Korea is mulling over participating in the Japanese naval celebration. Bogyong, tell us what this is all about. Right. So last January, the Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force invited the South Korean Navy and navies of its West Pacific allies to attend the International Fleet Review scheduled for November. The fleet review will commemorate the 70th founding anniversary of Japan's Maritime Self-Defense Force. Japan has also proposed holding a joint humanitarian naval rescue exercise with South Korea. The most recent exercise between the two countries took place back in 2017. The International Fleet Review is the most representative military diplomacy event of the Navy, and it looks like the South Korean government is positively reviewing the invitation of both the Fleet Review and the Naval Rescue Exercise as well. If so, then it will be the first time in seven years since 2015 to accept the invitation. 
With strained relations going on for many years, South Korea has not attended any of Japan's fleet reviews recently, nor did Japan accept South Korea's invitation in 2018. However, things might not be so simple because the Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force uses the rising sun flag, which represents the Japanese Imperial Army. According to a military source, a decision on South Korea's participation has not been reached yet, but the flag will not be a reason to turn down the invitation. In fact, the flag has been already used many times during international joint drills involving South Korea's Navy. That, you know, that flag really upsets me. I, I mean, I'm going to just uh, give everyone, all of our listeners out there, a quick history lesson right now. I mean, you guys seen this uh the the flag right the rising sun flag and and you see that in like what is that uh we saw it like nonchalantly back in when i was a kid what was that uh, movie the karate kid uh that kid had like the, the the rising sun flag on his forehead and things like that and we never really thought about it back then uh but the thing is it is equivalent to the nazi swastika let's just put it at that okay mm-hmm. it, it is a it is a terrible terrible symbol <laughs> and uh we, we 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 don't like it here which is why this is so controversial I want to get your thoughts on the government's possible participation in uh, Japan's worship ceremony here, because I know uh, the UN administration is looking to improve ties with Japan, but the flag could be one of the reasons for why it's so controversial. But other reasons, uh, maybe some backlash from the public as well. Uh, Let's get your thoughts on this, Tan, starting off with you. Like you mentioned, when it comes to the flag of the rising sun, it's no joke. You know, we all know how angry the Korean public can get. It's one of the most sensitive issues between Seoul and Tokyo. It's only natural, though, uh, that Koreans can can get very upset just at the sight of the red flag because it's an offensive symbol of Japan's imperialistic past. It reminds us of Japan's brutal colonial rule from 1910 to 1945. Not sure if you remember, but we all saw what happened back in 2018 when Korea hosted the International Fleet Review that uh, uh, in Jeju Island. And local residents held days of protests against Japan's warship sailing to the island, waving the rising sun flag. And as a result, Japan decided not to take part. So it'll be a tough call for the UN administration to choose between the public sentiment uh, that was clearly reflected um, in UN's low approval rating and what's more vital for national interests from a pragmatic point of view. Now, some experts point out that uh, now is the time to move towards future-oriented relations and place Korea's national interests before anything else, even when it comes to having to accept the symbol of the painful history. They cite China as a good example. China uh, approved a Japanese warship to raise the rising sun flag when entering Qingdao to mark the 70th anniversary of the founding of the People's Liberation Navy in 2018. China, according to experts, were, you know, being very pragmatic, attempting not to hurt its relations with Japan while keeping the U.S. in check. And some experts also point out the fact that the flag of Japan Maritime Self-Defense Force is actually the same as the flag of the rising sun. So it's impossible for Japan to consider raising other flags uh, during events involving the Navy. Uh, Before I get into my two cents, uh, Pogyan, what about your thoughts on the possible participation of uh, Japan's uh, ceremony there? Right, I think uh, Taon mentioned, I think, most of the comments that I wanted to also raise. But... 
Yes. So just to mention briefly about uh, not only 2018 that Tan just mentioned, but also back in 2015 in the Park Geun-hye administration. Um, back then, there was also the International Fleet Review in Japan, and there were controversies whether Korea should take part or not. But then the Tejoyong fleet did take part because of the importance and emphasis on the stronger security collaboration between the U.S., Japan, and South Korea. So that's the time when we did participate, despite the controversies. And then in 2018, Japan refused to come because they couldn't use the Rising Sun flag. And now this time, I think Japan is once again testing our the UN administration's real intention, whether the, the administration is really willing to, you know, have a better relationship, pursue a, you know, stronger relationship with Japan. So I think this is more like a testing bed or a testing opportunity this time. So personally, if I were Japan, I wouldn't be using the rising sun flag at all, even if that would be the symbol for I don't know, stronger force or for the maritime defense uh, force, I wouldn't be using it. But still, they, that's the same flag that they would use for the uh, maritime self-defense force. So for the greater cause or for the security of the geopolitical region and because of those issues, I think there are more opinions across the UN administration that this time is the time when we have to just accept that fact and shouldn't be, you know, thinking more and but to attend the event i mean okay so i mean as as long as the UN administration is ready to get the backlash from the people right i mean that that symbol okay it, it doesn't get as much hate as the nazi swastika but again i can't stress this enough it is an equivalent of the nazi swastika okay it's just a different country uh, but I mean that rising sun. To me, you don't see Germany, right? After all these years, and they're still. By the way, Germany is one of those countries where they're still on the hunt for former Nazi officials. Like after like all these years, mm. now they'll hunt you down. They'll go to Argentina and they'll hunt you down. They're like ninety something years old, and they're still punishing them, putting behind bars and things like that. Uh, you don't see the German, you know, Navy or the German military using the Nazi swastika. Uh, I don't know why Japan's still using this because, to me, this is them basically saying, look, we're not going to accept the mistakes, our past mistakes. And especially when you're trying to kind of hold combined celebrations or drills with South Korea of all countries that were a victim of their Japanese imperial past, that's like a slap in the face, in my opinion. And so I'm not a big fan of this. How Japan stands on how it deals with its past wrongdoings and how it deals with Korea's painful history um, in comparison to Germany, that opens up a whole other story. But like it or not, that is Japan and that is Japan's current stance. So like it or not, we have to deal with a country that is refusing to be as apologetic or as sincere or as genuine as Germany uh, in dealing with its past wrongdoings. So now it's about, I think we should focus more on our national interests and see what is uh, more pragmatic in future-oriented point of view. But then, I mean, to accept something so dark and so horrendous, uh, I think in that case, it gives basically other countries the reason to go, hey, listen, we could do terrible things, but as long as we just continue to fight it out and just ignore what everyone is saying over time, they'll just accept it. 
is what it seems like what Japan is doing right now. I mean, because there's no proper apologies for the sexual slavery, uh, slaves, sex slaves. Uh, there's still no compensation of the forced workers. It's basically like, listen, I think if we just keep continue to push it out over time, they'll forget it. And even this flag, look, I think a lot of people have, because I'm pretty sure back then uh, when you know World War II was going on and things like that, the imperial flag, that, that flag was not... Uh, well accepted but over time it's just like for some reason became like a symbol mm. of Japan and like it's a cool thing to have that rising flag in, in your f- in your forehead and then do karate and I, I, <laughs> it mm. definitely will be a very mm. very tough call for the UN administration uh, especially after not having met with uh, US visiting US yeah, House Speaker yeah. Nancy Pelosi when she came to South Korea but instead taking part in the uh, Japan's uh, naval ceremony where uh, they wave the huge flag of mm. the rising sun. It's definitely going to be a tough call. It is going mm. to be. I know it's. And, and I, I've said this from the very start. I, I, I do praise the UN administration for really trying to improve ties with Japan because I think if there is an improvement in the ties, especially like economically between the two countries, I mean, it's going to be a massive win win situation for both countries. But it's the historical issues that are just unable to be resolved, right? The, the forced labor, uh, for sex slaves. Uh, now this uh, with the, the the rising sun flag, and I've said this before. Uh, the UN administration has to really decide whether or not they're going to go for really just straight out improving ties with Japan and ignore what the public uh, sentiment is, or think about what the public is going to go and kind of hold back on. I guess uh, you know improving ties with Japan. It's 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 a really tough task for this. Uh, Hooligan KJ says. Uh, thanks to this, I got to know about the flag significance, and I am glad. Spread the word. <laughs> spread the word, ladies and gentlemen. Please spread the word because I feel like really not a lot of people know this. I think it's like really cool, and then like you even see like in the UFC, like all these like fighters, mixed martial arts fighters. Uh, they have had like you know some like karate background and they start wearing that rising mm. the thing flag. is most people like that they use it not knowing the meaning mm. or the implications of the flag mm. they don't mean bad they don't yeah. have no, bad no, they, intentions yeah exactly but they that's the don't thing know yeah and that's the thing the flag, right? and yeah it's ignorance and mm. uh, that's the reason why i continue to uh, say this on the show. Uh, but guys, moving on here, uh, following President Yoon Suk-yeol's various uh, conciliatory moves to mend phrase ties with Japan, uh, major Japanese news outlets are suggesting that Tokyo reviewed the export curve slapped on South Korea. Uh, Tell you have more on this. Right. President Yoon, during a press hearing marking his 100 days in office, said that he's looking for ways to resolve the compensation issue for Korean victims of Japan's wartime forced labor while avoiding a clash over sovereignty. And following the remarks, major Japanese news Newspapers like the Mainichi Shimbun and Asahi Shimbun are suggesting that the Japanese government review the export curbs still imposed on South Korea. For our listeners who may not be so clear on what happened, Tokyo has slapped curbs on South Korean exports of three high-tech materials needed to make memory chips and semiconductors while removing the country from its white list of countries entitled to receive preferential treatment in trade in 2019. Now, this was widely seen as a retaliatory moved to South Korean Supreme Court ruling that ordered Japanese firms to compensate Korean victims. Mainichi Shimbun in an op-ed titled, Both Sides Need to Move to Resolve the Forced Labor Issue, pointed out that President Yoon continues to emphasize his will to improve ties with Japan despite his tumbling approval ratings. Expressing concerns over Japan's lack of response, the newspaper said that if the issue is left unresolved, it'll bring a huge loss to Japan. 
Japan as well. It went on to suggest that Japan review the export curbs on South Korea as a starting point to resolve the decades-old matter. Last week, Asahi Shimbun also published an op-ed that proposed the Japanese government to start procedures to wind back the South Korean export curbs, as such move could send a positive message that supports the Yoon administration's efforts to fine-tune bilateral issues. Sankei Shimbun, meanwhile, reported yesterday that South Korean Foreign Minister Park Jin asked his Japanese counterpart during their talks in Cambodia earlier this month to lift the export curbs and re-include South Korea to Japan's white list of preferred trade partners. An official at Seoul's foreign minister, however, denied the report. Yeah, I believe uh, Mainichi Shimbun, uh, Asahi Shimbun, and uh, Sankei Shimbun, they're all kind of sort of the, the progressive mm-hmm. Uh, news outlets in Japan. And so it's not actually surprising that they have op-eds or articles uh, in regards to this. Uh, nevertheless, in other news, uh, South Korea and Australia discussing plans about energy supply chain and climate change. So Pogyang, give us the details of this. Sure. So South Korea's Ministry of Trade, Industry and Energy held the 31st South Korea-Australia Energy Resource Cooperation Committee on Monday to discuss measures to deal with energy supply chains and climate change. Items that were discussed in this round of the committee included cooperation in the areas of core minerals, hydrogen, CCUS, which is carbon capture utilization and storage, expanding the use of green energy and securing energy supply chains. South Korea's trade ministry requested its Australian counterpart to submit its letter accepting the amended London Protocol to the International Maritime Organization for the success of the CCUS project. So to just briefly mention what the London Protocol is, it is one of the first global conventions to protect the marine environment from human activities. Its objective mainly is to promote the effective control of all sources of marine pollution and to take all practicable steps to prevent pollution of the sea by dumping of waste and other matters. As the amended London Protocol didn't go into effect yet, countries that have submitted their letter of acceptance to the IMO can import and export substances that are generated during the carbon capture process. South Korea submitted its letter last April. The trade ministry also agreed to step up substantial cooperation by holding business roundtables between mineral companies of both countries. Australia is the leading producer in lithium, cobalt and rare earth elements. An official said that both countries' close cooperation in the fields of energy and resources will contribute to building a stable energy supply chain and expanding the use of green energy. Guys, let's talk money here. Uh, currency exchange, uh, to be more exact here. We have been seeing the South Korean Korean one really weakening against the greenback over the past few months now. The South Korean currency now top the uh, 1,340 level, Korean won level against the U.S. dollar. This for the first time in more than 13 years uh, amid projections that the U.S. Federal Reserve will maintain its aggressive rate hike policy. So, Tan, let's get the details of this. Well, local currency really went through the roof today. It broke both the 1,331 and the 1,341 level today, reaching its highest point for the first time since April 2009 during the global financial crisis. It kicked off trading at 1,335.51 this morning, surpassing the 1,340 mark at around 2 p.m., 
were foreclosing at slightly below 1,340. The rate continued to rise in recent weeks, climbing to the 1,301 range in June and surpassed 1,310 before reaching 1,321 last month. This came after the minutes of the U.S. Fed's July policy meeting released last week showed the U.S. central bank is likely to continue its aggressive monetary tightening to put a lid on inflation. Last month, the Fed raised its key interest rate by 75 basis points for the second straight month. A stronger dollar has spawned concerns about capital outflows from the South Korean market as investors tend to chase higher returns. Capital flights are feared to further weaken the Korean currency against the dollar, putting upward pressure on inflation. Trade deficit is another concern as weaker one helps boost exports, but the country's outbound shipments slowed down amid the global economic downturn. South Korea posted a trade deficit of over $10.2 billion during the first 20 days of August. And if the current trend continues, the nation is likely to log a trade deficit for the fifth straight month in August amid soaring energy costs. However, South Korean policymakers dismissed concerns about capital outflows, saying the sliding Korean one does not appear excessive when compared with other major currencies, including the yen and the euro. Finance Minister Chu Kyung-ho in a recent interview also said that there's no need to worry too much. Meanwhile, some foreign exchange analysts say that Korea may need to push up the projection ceiling of sliding Korean won for the latter half of this year from the previous 1,351 to a much higher figure. They say given the U.S. Fed's adamant tightening policy and worsening U.S.-China tensions, the local currency may easily break that level soon, with some projecting it uh, to break the 1,401 mark. The first test will come when Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell speaks at the uh, Animal Global's uh, Central Banking Conference uh, set to be held in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, I'm trying to remember when I last saw uh, 1400 because we keep mentioning this like 13 year thing. Like it's been uh, almost 13 years that I've been here in Korea. Oh, I'm actually going to be marking my 13 years real soon. Uh, I, I think I got somewhere close because I brought the US dollar in, right? Mm -hmm. And I came to Korea and I think it was like really close to. Uh, 1400 at the time. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it hits that range because the consensus right now, uh, I know the uh, the U.S. Uh, Fed, uh, the FOMC, they're going to make a decision on the rate hike real soon. I don't think it's going to slow that. They're saying that maybe it's going to go, uh, there's a good chance that it's going to go 50 basis point, 50 basis point, and 25 basis point uh, in the next three hikes is what they're saying. And, you know, I think uh, the BOK is not going to be able to match that. Mm -hmm. There's 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 absolutely no way that they're going to keep up with that, which means there's definitely going to be a reversal and there's definitely going to be a weaker Korean one against the greenback. It's just inevitable. But look, over time, it does go back, right? Because I have seen 1400 before. And the next thing you know, like it got to like 1080 Korean one uh, and so forth. And I know there's a lot of people because of the stronger greenback. Uh, a lot of people are trying to come to Korea. So hopefully through tourism, we'll get, make some money. Uh, also, South Korea plans to lower the fiscal deficit to 3% of its gross domestic product or less for the first time in four years. Uh, Pogyong, round this out here. 
Sure. So according to the finance ministry, the South Korean government has been planning next year's national budget, which will be confirmed after this week. The overall aim is to lower the fiscal deficit to GDP ratio to below 3% to improve fiscal soundness. Also, a stricter fiscal rule to enhance the health of public finances will be introduced. For instance, if the debt-to-GDP ratio at any point exceeds 60%, the government is required to lower the fiscal deficit to 2% or less. And just to briefly mention, fiscal balance refers to the difference between the financial income of the government and its expenses. This means the government plans to keep this difference below the 3% level of its GDP. Considering that the country's deficit to GDP ratio is expected to reach 5.1% this year, the 3% goal is somewhat challenging. However, it's also important to note that the planned budget and the actual year-end balance can have a large gap. Uncertain factors such as COVID-19 can result in several supplementary budgets. If the government strictly controls the fiscal deficit for next year, it's expected that total expenditure for 2023 may reach around 640 trillion won, which will be far less than this year's 679 trillion won. Yeah, so uh, we, we had this talk with uh, Professor Yang jun suk last week when we were talking about the 100 days of the UN administration. So South Korea, uh, it, what is it, uh, almost, uh, almost 60% in uh, debt-to-GDP ratio. Uh, you look at Japan. Japan's like something like a hundred, like eighty percent or something like that. They have a high debt. But the problem is with uh, South Korea. I mean, the Korean one isn't like a major currency like the yen mm-hmm. or like the euro or mm-hmm. the U.S. dollar. And so uh, it is very important that uh, we lower this debt to GDP uh, ratio. Is what I remember Professor Young uh, telling us. So. There you have it. Uh, guys, thank you very much for your report today and your insights on some of these issues. Please stay safe and uh, we'll see you guys again. Thank you. Thank you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.